0: welcome to the podcast of the Royal New Zealand College of Urgent Care. My name is Guy Melrose. September welcomes spring down here in New Zealand. For many in urgent care, this winter has felt like a long one, with clinics being squeezed by high patient numbers seeking health care and a health workforce depleted through illness, both personal and family. So for this podcast, we're putting up an audio recording of a webinar held earlier this year on burnout. This was part of the 2021 virtual bootcamp series. We spoke with doctors Charlotte Chambers and Joanne Egan, and I think now is as good a time as any to benefit from their expertise around burnout. As a quick warning before we proceed, This conversation does discuss clinician suicide, so please bear that in mind before listening. So tonight we have, as I've mentioned before, a very important topic to discuss, and in the current COVID situation, it's more important than ever. Tonight we're going to be talking about burnout and how it relates to urgent care. And to do this, I'm delighted to welcome Dr. Joe Egan and Dr. Charlotte Chambers. So welcome both to our webinar. If you could both please just briefly introduce yourselves, tell us a bit about yourself and why burnout is of interest to you and clinician wellness. So Joe, let, let's start with you.
1: Um, thank you very much, Guy. Kia ora Kojo ko jo, toko um, so I'm Joe Egan, and I am a um, I'm a fellow of the Royal College of Urgent Care, um, and have been for longer than I care to um, try and remember. Um, and I um, I I mostly work clinically in um, in an emergency department, um, although I have had five years of experience in an urgent care center um, up in Auckland as well. And I um I became interested in um, it particularly in, in well-being, although I guess it did start with burnout, because that's where um, as I started getting interested in it, that's where the literature, most of the literature was in um in burnout um, and the impact of burnout. And I um in in reading about that and sort of investigating, I came across um some positive psychology and um and kind of the flip side. And and um although our statistics for burnout are are pretty terrible there's a, that also means that there's you know that there's a reasonable number of people who um who are thriving or have the potential to thrive and um and and so a lot of my um my research and thinking and doing in this area um has been the flip side of burnout in terms of what is it that um what is it that that we get excited about? And that doesn't necessarily be need to be excitement as in skipping down the hallways going, woohoo, I love being at work, but you know, what what is it that I can get home and feel like, you know, today it's been a good day, I've made a difference in the world. Um, and um, and you know, I can I can go back again tomorrow. So um so that's really where my my lens is, and in particular, um an appreciative lens with a particular methodology that I um that I am drawn to is called Appreciative Inquiry. Um, so, so yeah, that's me.
0: Thank you. And Charlotte, how about you? What's your background and why are you interested in clinician wellness and burnout?
2: Sure. Thank you, uh, Joe, and for your intro. And also thanks to Guy for organising this and inviting me to come along. Um, uh, so I'm down here in Wellington and I work for the Association of Salaried Medical Specialists, which perhaps some of you, but not all of you, may be familiar with. But we are the professional association and the trade union for senior doctors and dentists in New Zealand. Um, And if any of you are interested to um, learn a little bit more about what ASMS does or what we can offer for you, um, then please get in touch. We are open to all salaried employees in New Zealand, so you don't have to be working for a DHB. Um, So that aside, um, I've been with the ASMS for, I was just mentally totting it up in my head. I've been there for seven years now, and I don't have a background in health. I'm I'm a pseudo doctor. I've just got a PhD in um, human geography, actually, uh, specialising in giant clams in the Cook Islands. So nothing at all to do with um, this field, but uh, I have over the seven years um, become something of a specialist in uh, senior medical well-being, And I'm reviewing papers on it at the moment and I'm publishing actively in international journals on this topic. So it has become my new focus. Um, you gotta love a bit of continuing education, right? <laughs> Lifelong learning. So um, in my first year back in 2015, working for the ASMS, I was asked to start looking at, um, trying to really get a finger on how uh, doctors and dentists were faring across the New Zealand public health system. And so I I did a lot of background reading and um, rolled out the first nationwide uh, burnout survey um, using the Copenhagen Burnout Inventory in New Zealand. And I was quite surprised um, a, that it hadn't been done before, but B, what the findings were, and they were fairly stark. We we found that one in two doctors were scoring with what would be defined as reasonably high levels of burnout. Um, of course, using the Copenhagen burnout inventory, um, and not the Maslac burnout inventory, some of the comparisons with other Quite prestigious studies like the ones that Kate felt at the Mayo Clinic has been spearheading for a long time now. It wasn't quite as um, easy to do, but it certainly seems that doctors in New Zealand are facing the same pressures that doctors worldwide are facing. And in some instances, it may be even more gruelling. Um, so I'm really interested in what it is about the conditions of work that tend to uh, foster and um, limit I guess healthy working lives um, of course with my trade union hat on Um, and I've also become quite interested in how burnout seems to differentially affect different groups of the medical workforce so there are huge differences in burnout propensity by medical specialty um, and also by demographic characteristics so one thing that I was really shocked to find out is that in the original survey Women working in um, medicine and dentistry in their 30s were far more likely to score with really, really high levels of burnout than their male counterparts. And so this has led to um, a focus on the intersections between gender and well-being, and also how gender can inflect um, expectations around how we ought to work um, and perhaps how we should be working. And that's a real, um, I do have a background in um, feminism, so that is a nice way in which my prior training segues into my current focus as well. So, um, and I'm also working with Joe, sort of somewhat obliquely in this well-being network that we've set up, which we've only actually had one meeting for, but um, it's a real pleasure to share her expertise on this stage today, albeit virtually. So thank you again, Guy.
0: Jo, maybe you could kick this all off then, um, because Charlotte mentioned how uh, different specialties have different rates of burnout, and you've worked in both urgent care and emergency medicine. Um, what's your understanding of the current state of burnout in those areas, and maybe why why might they be different to other parts of medicine?
1: Mm, sure, I can I can speak a little bit to this um, from. Um, from I guess from theory, not and and then we'll um, we'll have Charlotte back some of that up or, or refute it with some um, with some data. So I um, I am a, a a qualitative researcher, and and during the process of that, I've become very qualitative in my in my thinking in my worldview. Um, so so that will that will come through, but but certainly in in emergency medicine and i think i think in in urgent care there are a number of um of characteristics of 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 both of those places of work um that that can be associated with um with a propensity to burnout um and um at, you know i think both both places that i, I guess i i um i i am have read a lot of, well, quite a bit of philosophy and I, and, and I often fall back on philosophers and, and Aristotle has this, has this beautiful way of seeing the world in terms of a sweet spot. And I think that, that there's something about um, urgent care and emergency medicine that, um, that finding a a sweet spot is great when you can find it and over the top or under, under can, um, you know, can be troublesome. And in both of the specialties, there's a sense of um, you know anything can walk through the door. Um, there's a, some unpredictability um, around that. Um, it can be difficult for that reason to plan things. Um, you know we don't necessarily have set appointment times or um, or even set break times. And um, and so I think that some of those can um, can at one point can be quite exciting. You know, it can make an exciting day when things are different. Um, but also if there's too much of it um, that can really add to, um, add to stress loads and add to um, make things that we know help our health more difficult. Um, things like shift work. Um, you know, there's some real advantages in shift work sometimes in terms of, you um, being able to do childcare, or you know, getting getting kids from school and being involved in 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 their school things, and then also there's the you know the flip side can be that it can be really hard on um, on doing regular things like being part of a class after work or um, or being part of a of a sports team where you may want to you know go to regular practice and things like that. So. Um, and lack of sleep, of course. If you're doing doing night shifts, which you know some of you in urgent care are still doing, as well as um, as well as those of you who are working in um, in rural practice and, and in the emergency department. So, so I think that there's um, you know there's lots of things that do impact um, the, our propensity for um, for burnout and and or the flip side of um, of, of thriving. Oftentimes with, um, with our specialties as well is that with the, with the shift work, you're often, the, the staff are often changing um, frequently, so you may not be on the same shift as other, other staff members for a while. So um, one of the things that can help with, um, with, with thriving or the flip side of burnout is, um, you know, a sense of belonging and um, familiarity or, or connection with people and that can be harder to do when you don't see the same faces all the time. Um, and so, you know, find thinking about finding ways of how do we do that in in short bursts. You know, how do we speed date with our colleagues rather than relying on working with them every day and getting to know them in a in a slower fashion. Um, and and so I think that I guess for me, um, what I've enjoyed about about the flip side of burnout. Is is thinking about what is it, you know, what is it that that really helps and how can we make that practical in the situation we're in? Because we do work in um in situations that um that that you know there are quite a few differences and um and, and quite a few characteristics about it that can lead us down towards burnout.
2: I think it's really um I was just reflecting on the type of stuff that I deal with sounds so cold and clinical compared to the lived experiences of it and you know your comments, Joe. But I thought it might be useful to um just define what, what burnout is now defined as by the World Health Organization because that changed relatively recently back in 2019. And for us um, as a union, it was quite a seismic shift because burnout is now defined as a uh, it's under the international classification of diseases diagnostic manual it is now defined as resulting from chronic workplace stresses that have not been successfully managed and the key thing here in that shift in definition is it is it's not an individual problem or failure it is very firmly situated as being a consequence of your working conditions and that subtle shift in emphasis is incredibly important because I think psychologically, um, we're hoping that it's going to shift that sense of um, perhaps some of the stigma around uh, self-identifying as perhaps being on the precipice of burnout away from it being seen as something that's a sign of weakness or an individual failure to cope with the, the demands and the stresses of a workplace, to actually shifting that emphasis onto, well, what is it about my conditions of work? the hours that I'm working, the way in which I'm working, that is not enabling me to achieve my best. Um, And and that in turn requires a whole different suite of um, solutions to address it. So I know one of my pet hates in the original days uh, when we were liaising with the various HR managers around the country, um, and we'd see these posters saying, you know, free fruit on a Friday or lunchtime yoga or get the latest mindfulness app downloaded on your phone and hey, that's going to solve burnout. Well, it doesn't work that way. Those things are incredibly important um, buffering strategies, I guess, to help individuals relax and, and cope. But if you're constantly being put into a workplace situation where your hours of work are really long, you're not able to access breaks. You're not getting adequate recovery time if you are doing out of hours working, um, you're working in uh, conditions where civility between your colleagues is strained, then if you're constantly being put back into that situation and just offered a free piece of fruit on a Friday you can see how that's not going to um, really attend to the, the core reasons why that situation is unsustainable. Um, and I guess in terms of uh, you know, so we have the sense of burnout as being a consequence of chronic workplace stress. Stress is not burnout. Um, some amount of stress is really important. Uh, we all need a degree of stress to get us out of bed in the morning and get us going. Um, but if you're experiencing chronic stress, never-ending stress, then burnout can be like an end state to that. Um, it's not a fixed state, it is a shifting state, but it is, you um, It can be a consequence of that constant uh, stressed out um, way of living and being Um, it's not a medical diagnosis yet Uh, it is not um, there are interconnections between burnout and other mental health conditions such as depression and so forth but the relationship and the understanding between the different um i guess contributing factors is, is still not entirely clear but in the context of medicine what we do know is that having a workforce where one and two are suffering from burnout is not great um, burnout is linked to higher levels of suicidal ideation and we know that um, medical professionals are unfortunately very good at um, suiciding if they put their mind to it they know exactly how and we have a really horrendous rate of um, suicide and i'm sorry that it's a trigger warning but We have to be real about what it means you know we we often talk about burnout in these kind of abstract terms but it has a huge personal cost to it um burnout also matters for the quality of 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 care that doctors are able to give to their patients um if you are um, depersonalized which is one of the facets that contribute towards burnout then you may not give the best quality care to your patients because you just simply might not be able to deliver that personal you might not care anymore, put it that way. Um, And burnout is also correlated with increasing rates of medical error, so making mistakes at work. And I think it's fair to understand why, um, if you're exhausted, um, then you're more likely to make mistakes at work too. So burnout matters in really important ways. Um, And so I've mentioned that statistic that we found from the 2015 survey, 50% uh, suffering from very high levels of work, of personal overall burnout. Um, we repeated the survey two years ago in 2020. Uh, we wanted to see if anything had changed in that five-year period, and it hasn't, unfortunately. Um, it's still one in two suffering from very high levels of personal burnout. And unfortunately, burnout, which is explicitly ascribed to conditions of work is also slightly on the increase. Um, And just to compliment Joe's talking about urgent care and emergency medicine, well, from the latest survey, because we had such a high response rate, we could really drill down into the different specialties. Uh, And I was just refreshing my memory. Um, Radiation oncologists are top of the pops for, um, both. personal or overall rates of burnout and work-related burnout. Uh, 70% of those who responded to the survey were scoring with high levels of burnout. And they were followed closely by those working in respiratory medicine. Um, Again, I can kind of understand radiation oncology, but I was really surprised by the higher scores for respiratory um, physicians. Uh, And then, but the second highest score for overall burnout was actually rural hospital um, medicine specialists. And then, of course, close on the heels emergency medicine specialists. So um, I would imagine, even though I don't have any urgent care doctors in, in my surveys, that the schools would probably be up there too, for the reasons which Joe has um, beautifully outlined. Um, and we do have a few members who work in general practice. And again, alongside those working in rural hospital medicine. They had the top scores for patient-related burnout. Um, And again, this is the beauty, I think, of the Copenhagen Burnout Inventory is it allows you to think or probe which degrees or which aspects of your life um, are associated with with stress. Um, So patient-related burnout was the highest for um, those working in general practice in rural hospital medicine, which I thought was quite interesting. Um, And yeah, the literature again supports what Joe said, shift work, long hours, Lack of recovery time, um, I used key indicators from the Australian Medical Association's safe work guidelines and things like working for 14 hours, uh, not having um, a break of at least 24 hours between night shifts. All those factors are positively correlated with your propensity to hit burnout. Mm -hmm. Also issues like lack of control, like Joe was saying, if you don't know what's happening in your day, it can be exciting, but it can also be... um, really stressful. Um, But that can also manifest as lack of autonomy as well. So if you're in a situation where you've got a micromanager who's not giving you your clinical voice in situations or not allowing you to take the lead, that can also have a really wearing effect. Um, And also having really high doctor task loads, or what they call cognitive task loads, which apparently is really high in emergency medicine, and I'm guessing the same for urgent care, that also can have a big impact but reducing that cognitive task loading has a significant impact in terms of reducing the propensity for burnout. So um, it's just a few steps to complement Joe's descriptions. Um, yeah, so I'll hand back to you.
0: It's quite um, staggering to hear one and two and mm. for it still to be one and two five years later, and then when you throw COVID into the mix since 2020, um yeah remains to be seen what the figures are going forwards and i guess i'm keen to get on to prevention at some point but what i'm interested in is if at this point one in two would mean i'm highly likely to know somebody who's burning out or even be burning out uh, as a clinician so how do you recognize burnout in yourself or in other people how, how what does it look like and how do you how do you diagnose it if it's not um, medical condition.
1: Sorry, you can uh, yeah. <laughs> I think I think that's a really good good question. And and um and Charlotte, I really liked the the way that you um that you you described it sort of as a, a, a continuum. I can't remember the exact words that you said, but it's not a you know I'm burnt out. I'm not burnt out. But you know you can you can find that that over you know over a relatively short time you can have feelings of of. Of burnout and then, you know, and then do something and, and they abate, or they might be there for all sorts of different reasons. You know, there's all sorts of different things going on in our lives as well that, that impact us. I, I, um, I personally find um, that, that there are triggers that I recognize, um, that, that I've recognized more frequently over this Omicron surge, I will say, <laughs> um so that 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 there's there's times where um where i start to feel that patients are annoying me that they're um you know oh for goodness sake why couldn't you deal with this at home rather than um rather than a feeling of you know for you this is something that was really important for you to come and see me about um and and being there to listen and hear the patient so once i start feeling like um you, you know people who are coming to ask things of me are are an annoyance rather than a than a collegial um interaction then then that's a, that's a real trigger for me that um that something is going on and this is you know this is not heading in a particularly good direction and I, and and i think that when when that starts to happen my my interpersonal skills and my interactions with people mean that the kind of care that i'm able to give particularly within a within team care is not nearly as good because it's um it's more um reactive and defensive rather than pro social and um uh, you know open to other suggestions and you know opening the opening the floor for other people to say oh hey have you thought about this or what about this you know both from a patient perspective and also from um, from the team and i think that um you know i think these that this um you know burnout and or, and or th- thriving you know you you can you can take your own temperature in terms of you know how are you doing and and there's days where you know you're firing on all cylinders and you're rearing to go and the, and there's days that that you're just not and that and there's everything in between that whole continuum and um and and working out for you know for yourself. Where, you know, is there a way that you can kind of check in every now now and again, just like, you know, we do reflective practice in terms of what we're doing from a medical point of view, you know, some reflective practice in terms of, you know, how am I doing and what impact is that having on the, on the care that I'm giving to my patients and what impact is that having on my colleagues around me? Um, And, um, and likewise, I think in terms of recognizing it in other people, you know, that same temperature check um, is a reasonable thing for other people. You know, are there, are there people around you that, um, you know, you normally get on with really well and you can have collegial conversations and talk about patients or, you know, and now that you know, that, that, that there's some prickliness to those conversations or they're withdrawing a little bit, you know, those, those start to be um, red flags coming up to say, Hey, You know, maybe there's something going on here and um, and it's and and finding ways to then um, to address it, which could be as simple as making them a cup of tea and taking it in. You know, it doesn't have to be a whole sit down and sing Kumbaya together and and, you know, share your deepest thoughts. It really, you know, a small act of kindness just to acknowledge that, hey, you know, this is a tough day um, can sometimes um, make all the difference.
2: Um, And following on from that, I really like that notion of taking the temperature. Um, And I can only imagine how incredibly stressful it must be for all of you working at the forefront of this Omicron surge. Um, I've got a friend who's a GP and I saw her last night and she had these big black bags under her eyes. She's just knackered. So, you know, solidarity to all of you out there doing the hard yards. Um, But I guess the other thing around taking the temperature is when you're in the thick of it, it can be really difficult to do. from time to time, step back and do that reflexive, I guess, assessment as well of what kind of hours have I been working lately? Have I been getting adequate recuperation time between my shifts? How many night shifts have I done this week? Is my work safe? Am I allowing myself adequate rest and recovery time? Um, The Copenhagen Burnout Inventory really emphasizes the notion of exhaustion and fatigue as being key earmarks of, of burnout. And so if you're finding that the thought of work every day is just like this black weight of doom on your shoulders and you're feeling exhausted, just at the thought of going to work, you're having difficulty sleeping at night because of the anxieties that you might be feeling around work. That's another really important, um, I guess, red flag that might be waving saying hey what do i need to do do i need to perhaps take a day off do i need to to prioritize some me time um but yeah really keeping tabs of that i i would again recommend the australian medical association safe work guide it's a really useful it is a self um like a tick Chart if you like, which enables you to assess how safe is the work that I'm doing, what are the hours that I've been doing, um, how sustainable is this. It's really useful. It's free, um, but yeah, keeping an eye on how am I working and how am I allowing myself to recover from my work is really really important. Um, and I would emphasise that, you know, we uh, in our mecca, our multi-employee collective agreement, which is the the Bible that we wave at employers if if they're not um, playing nicely. Um, we really take seriously recovery time um, guidelines because it's, it's a clinical fact, right? If you're working out of hours, outside your normal circadian rhythm, and out of hours is not just in the middle of the night, it's anything after, I think we define it as after six o'clock at night onwards, um, 10 o'clock onwards, um, you have to have adequate recovery time. And I think they say for every day of out of hours work, you need to have a, a 12 hour shift. And that is not staying at home to do your non-clinical time or um, doing catching up with your admin, it's actually resting and recuperating. So making sure you have adequate recovery time is so important. And we have a whole um, safe work guideline that we've been really trying to push hard. As part of our broader suite of um, I guess, attempts to try and make work a lot more sustainable for for all of you out there.
0: Is it true or is it a reasonable way to look at this that uh, if it's on a spectrum, as you've mentioned, that actually we should all be practicing prevention of burnouts, whether or not we're actually identifying ourselves as burnt out at that time. And if so, that leads into how do we prevent burnout what should we be doing what what, what are the, what are some of the uh, the best ways you've you've mentioned some of them but um if we could explore uh the, the whole gamut of, of prevention of burnout
1: yeah absolutely um so so i think um i i think that um let me declare um my um my personal viewpoint i i am um an optimist um some would say, um, and a very unrealistic optimist. And, uh, and, and that may be true at times. So, um, so the way I see the world is, um, I don't think it's through rose colored glasses, I spend quite a bit of time trying to make sure that I don't do that. But I am, I am hopeful. And I tend to, I tend to hear the one and two who are burn out, burning out and think, Oh, gosh, tell me about those ones who aren't, what are they doing? what's going on there and can we can we unpack that and learn from that and and give me some of that i want some of that and and so when we when we do look at the people who who are who are i call it thriving you can there's all sorts of um different words that you can that you can use and another word that is often that is often used as languishing, which is kind of neither burning out nor thriving, but it's kind of somewhere in the middle. And I think again, with all of these things, there's a there's a continuum that 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 you may traverse um over time, sometimes short times, sometimes long times. But when um when when people have looked at what are some of the things that um that help us to thrive. Um, then you know they they are on the whole they are very human things. What are the things that that help you to live um, back to Aristotle, his good life? You know the things that um, that that are the components of a of a of a meaningful or a worthwhile life. And the truth is that the jobs that we do in urgent care and rural medicine and and healthcare and in fact anywhere in healthcare but i think particularly so in our jobs you know we do a very practical job you know we we practically make a difference um, and there i don't think that there are any other jobs that have as many components of a good life than the jobs that we do and to me to think that the, those ingredients are already there that we don't necessarily have to do anything differently but maybe we can see slightly differently and often the thing you know the 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 good bits the the good ingredients are overwhelmed by the the difficulties and um the, the multitudes of things that add to our burning out and as human beings we have evolved I'm a very simple person and I like to go back to simple concepts and we have evolved to make sure that we that that we are aware of threats. If our ancestors didn't do that, they were eaten by a saber tooth tiger, and that was the end of the the gene line. So our ancestors were really good at checking out threats and and surviving them, and that's our brains go to that first of all, um and and that's and and that has given us a survival benefit, and as there are not so many. Fatal threats, although the world at the moment is certainly trying to create more than there has been a few years ago. Um, our bodies are still looking out for those threats and they do tend to overwhelm the good stuff. But the good stuff is still there. It's not that it hasn't gone anywhere. We just don't notice it so much. And we and we tend not to sit with it. And you know yourself, you know, you can have, you can have. Ten compliments, or even a hundred compliments, and one person comes and get, and says a complaint. It's the complaint that keeps you awake at night. It's the complaint that you remember, and it's the complaint that you take to heart and think, "Oh my gosh, what am I doing?" And you kind of ignore the hundred people who have said, "Oh, thank you so much. You're a great doctor, or you're great at doing your job." And it takes a little bit of effort to to switch that focus a little bit, and to and to spend. It doesn't need to be long, even 20 seconds, savoring something that gives you a little boost can help to rewire your brain so that you're more likely to see that same thing again. Just like when you buy a new car and you're driving down the motorway, all of a sudden there are millions of those same cars that yesterday you hadn't noticed. And the number of those cars hasn't changed at all, but what you see has changed. When you are falling in love, all of the songs on the radio are about falling in love. And three weeks later, or however long or short it is that you fall out of love for whatever reason, those same songs are all about heartbreak. And the playlists haven't changed, but what we hear, what we attend to, what we notice has changed. And that's true of everything. And and part of the appreciative inquiry that I mentioned before, part of the, the idea around that is that the things that we talk about, the things that we notice, the narrative that we create impacts the way that we see the world and the way that we interpret the world. And if we are able to find the things that, and at the moment, you know, I, I, I've I've changed the way that I talk about this a little bit, whereas three years ago I would have said, you know, tell me about, tell me about a story when you know, when you felt like, yes, you know, this was a great day or this was a great half day or this was a great session. And at the moment, you know, I think that sometimes it can be a struggle to find a whole session that might be great. But now I'm thinking about what is it that gets you through a really challenging time? And to and to notice those and and to sit with them for a moment. And, and a lot of the time, those things are really simple, inexpensive, and often difficult things but they're about being human you know somebody brings you a cup of tea or an old lady squeezes your hand cuz she's grateful for for what you've done or you know even a, a being beside somebody's bed as they die well um it, it, there's all sorts of things that are that are you know they're not necessarily happy but they're they're meaningful and they and they give you a sense that okay, I can go and see the next patient or I can go and do this next thing. And I think that trying to um, identify or even just sit with that and even better if you can, tell your colleague about it because the thing about then telling that story is that it, you get to re that positive emotion that you felt in the first place and then you get to share it with the other person. We've got these great things in our brains called Mirror cells and um, mirror neurons, and because of those, as you tell a story, the other person who's listening gets to kind of live that story as well, and they get the bonus of what's of the good stuff that's happening in in your brain. They get the bonus of that happening in their brain as well. Um, so, so I think that there's, um, there there are are plenty of things. Uh, there, there's plenty of ways to to combat um burnout and to find the nuggets of good and there's no one silver bullet that that works for anybody and in fact some things that might work one day might might not work the next day and importantly as charlotte said early on that this is not about an individual responsibility for um for fixing your own burnout this is a this is a a community responsibility and a and a organisational and in fact I think you know the the a whole profession responsibility. One of the things that I find fascinating about the burnout um, literature is that it's it's pretty similar around the world with very different um, health health systems, and in each of those countries, when you when you go and listen to them talking about their statistics. They've got quite specific things that they think are adding to them. And I'm sure that they are. And there's got to be something that's similar about all of us because, you know, we're all in, in kind of similar situations. And so, so it, it's about, it's about being human and about relationships and about what that looks like and what that means in in our working life and in, in our outside of work life as well. I'll stop. I could talk for a long time about this stuff.
2: <laughs> uh, it's so good, Joe, and I love your anecdotes. They 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 gave me the mirror effect too, made me happy. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I'm I come at this topic from a slightly different perspective because I'm I'm the academic with the, with an academic lens on it. But um one thing that I am finding really interesting, and particularly when I started looking at the gender dimensions to um burnout propensity is I have this nagging feeling that uh, part of the problem uh, is something to do with the structure of work uh, and how work we are encouraged in most professions. And medicine is is not alone in that, be it law or architecture or or many other professions. um, Work has always been kind of put up on a pedestal as being one of the most important things. And we have work-centric cultures. And one of the themes that came out of the qualitative research that I did looking at the gender dimensions of burnout was um, women were um, really faced with this mythical notion of work-life balance Um, and we're all thrust with this notion of work-life balance and told that that's what we should describe um, and aim towards. And um, I try to, but always seem to fail. But if you're also lumbered with significant out-of-work commitments, be they domestic commitments or um, responsibilities in other ways, shapes or forms, you might have significant cultural or religious responsibilities alongside domestic tasks, um, then that can really skew the balance too and make things even harder to achieve that that sense of um, happy complement between work and life. Um, And I... I guess, I mean, you you all train incredibly long and hard to become the medical professionals that you are. Um, and I think there's something, there is something in that notion that um, once you've achieved your professional goals, and it's, you know, it's supposed to be fulfilling and, and wonderful all the time, and it isn't always that way. So uh, something along, I really like that notion of cognitively reframing things, but I guess also apply work in that lens too. You know, work in your professional life is not the be all and end all of everything and think about things outside of work that give you joy too and try to think about how you can restructure your work to enable you to attend more to that type of stuff. Um, And one other thing I wanted to note uh, in the recent research that I did, I looked at the issue of dependence and and I tried to see if that had a a bearing on um, burnout propensity. And one thing I found is that for women, it didn't really make a difference. Uh, whether they had children or not, but for men, it had a significant difference. Um, men with children were more likely to hit uh, burnout than men without children. And I took that as a good sign, believe it or not, because I saw it as a sign that, you know, for women it hasn't made much of a difference, but for men perhaps that democratising of responsibilities in the domestic sphere is slowly happening. Um, and unfortunately it's their wellbeing that's bearing the brunt of it. But there is positives in that too. Um, I think, particularly for the women, and women are starting to take over the medical workforce, which is great. Uh, and it would be great if men continue to um, participate equally in the domestic workforce too. Just a bit of a random aside there.
0: Um, you mentioned that it's this is a condition that's related to uh, not the individual necessarily. It's it's a much broader um situation that that, uh, it's a whole team uh it's, it's a whole community problem and yet i wondered what there is that you can do on a personal level to um to seek out help and with that i was thinking on things like professional supervision has that been shown to help with burnout uh should we be seeing our gps when we're feeling burnt out should we be seeing psychological support um, specialists, so do, when when do we need to consider actually involving somebody in our own personal situation?
1: I, I think those are really good questions, and I and I think the answer is yes to all of the suggestions. Um, I, the, there has been work done on um, on um, ballot groups, um, which some of you may be involved in, and um, and that they um, they can reduce. Um, burnout and and increase um, increase joy. there's um there has been work done around supervision and peer supervision. and there there are um there there are some um kind of conflicting um, results with some of these. there's there's so many conf- confounders that it can be it can be difficult asking, a um, linear question to a complex problem and hoping to get an answer that is reasonable um, from a research point of view. But and Charlotte, I'm sure we'll have some more research to, um, to speak of. Um, however, I think I think that um, that as you mentioned earlier on, Guy, you know, what can we do to prevent this? I think that finding ways to connect with your colleagues, um, to um to to build relationships to find ways and forums where um, you can um, that you can talk about um some of your challenges and that you can also um remind each other of of the what really matters um in in work and in life and and you know share ideas for how um how you find ways to um to to find some balance, or to or to um, reequilibrate um, as you need to, um, and I think that again, there's no there's no silver bullet. There are different things that that suit different people and different personalities and different in different contexts. Um, and there's and there's a huge number of things out there that that can help. From um, from um, Charlotte, I think that you mentioned the Australian medical um, questionnaire that they've got there. Um, there are there's a huge growing number of apps um, around that that you can look for and find ones that suit you. Um, balance groups, as I mentioned, um, peer groups. and um and I, I am a real believer in professional supervision. Um, I think that f- for me, I place professional supervision in my education, my ongoing education, rather than therapy. You know, I think that that to learn from experience, and that experience can be both in the medical realm and in the personal realm, in the being of a person realm, I think that having a facilitated space to learn from experience is an incredibly valuable way to, um, to, to continue my ongoing education. Um, And there's, you know, that's, that's one aspect of it. And then to also have professional um, uh, counseling or therapy when you start to get um, to the, to the continuum of, uh, of burnout where it's, it's affecting your ability to, um, to enjoy life, to engage with other people and to look after your patients, then, then I think that, that that's. That that's certainly a, a time when um, some professional help, in terms of in terms of therapy and um, and ongoing help, is really worthwhile.
2: Um, and I, I would just add to that and say I think there's a lot of um, benefit in destigmatizing the experience of burnout. Uh, as I said at the outset, it is not a sign of individual weakness or failure. Um, you know if one and one and two of uh medical professionals in new zealand are likely to be suffering from some form of burnout then if you're feeling those feelings of overwhelming exhaustion and stress chances are one of your colleagues are too and i think medicine has not always been the kindest of professions in terms of allowing people to open up about instances where they may be struggling or finding things tough and um, as joe said before you know you you may have one negative interaction or a complaint from a patient and that can knock you off your pedestal pretty swiftly especially if you're already feeling a bit fragile or um, vulnerable so talk to your colleagues try and foster a an environment where it's okay to put up your hand and say i'm finding today really bloody hard how about you um, you know take your tea breaks um where possible uh i know you know the old the what do they call them the um, corridor conversations that you might have or the tea room chats are really undervalued as a important way to build a sense of community and collegiality in a workplace Um, and all too often we sit at our desks and eat on the run or whatever but um, you know it it shouldn't be a nice to have that you get to have a lunch break or a tea break Um, and again that's where the union is supposed to come in and help advocate for that but I think working towards destigmatizing burnout, um, opening up about times when you might be finding things difficult, talking to your colleagues. Um, if you don't feel safe to talk to your colleagues, then definitely get yourself somebody who you can download to. Um, I'm a huge advocate for therapy, um, professional supervision, all of those strategies, are so important. Um, and if you do reach that point where you feel like you've hit the wall, um, know try and explain what you need to recover from that and that's often a significant period of time off work um and yeah i'm just seeing this question to know when to say no and not to overload yourself so important um especially because the consequences of trying to do something that you don't feel that you can safely do maybe in your profession a matter of life and death um so yeah Joe, do you have anything to add to that
1: question? I'm just going to I think, um, Guy, you mentioned having a GP, and I think that um, you know that a that a, a a good relationship with your GP is is invaluable um, in terms of in terms of looking after our own health, our own health, um, and having someone that you know that that for for all sorts of different things, you build a relationship with your GP over um, you know over time. Then that makes it even easier when you need to go and, um, and say, you know, Hey, I'm, you know, I'm struggling to enjoy seeing patients or, you know, my colleagues are really getting up my nose at the moment and, you know, finding, you know, you know, I'm, I'm finding it hard to even think of solutions and, and that's, you know, that's completely not only okay, it's completely normal. Um, in our job, and I think finding ways to to be able to to say that, finding ways to put up your hand and say, "Hey, I need I need some help, or I need some space to talk about this," um, is is a brave and courageous thing to do. Um, and I think that you know, if you hear of colleagues who do that, please, you know, please celebrate them. Um, you know, I think that we have this, we have a profession where we inadvertently celebrate and heroize people for going above and beyond, um, you know, for staying until all the work is finished and um, and for going, you know, for for working through their breaks. and and there's a um, you know, yes, there's a you know, if for a short time, if you have to work really hard, it's nice to be acknowledged. However, over a lifetime of doing that, it's not actually helping anybody. Um, and if we can somehow change our narrative and um and really, you know, celebrate people for taking holidays, for spending time with their families, for having a lunch break, having a lunch break together if you can, you know, and and then you know having having a space where you can chat and um and have those corridor uh, water cooler moments that in in the in our virtual world now are are more and more difficult to do. However, there's virtual ways of doing that as well. Um, and so finding finding those things that add to your connection, your sense of belonging, um and and also recognizing, I think the other important thing, given that we've, you know, we've mentioned again and again that this is not an individual thing, that this is this is about about communities and organizations and and organizational culture and in, in fact healthcare culture around that's also something that we are a part of. We we all add to that culture and recognizing your own impact on those around you. Um, the, choosing the, you know, that 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 culture is built up by the words that we choose to say, by the behaviors that we have towards one another. Um, and if you think, think of your, you know, of yourself, you know, you get to work and you're on with, um, you know, with your friend or your mate that you catch up with socially, you kind of go, Oh, okay, you know, anything can happen today. We're going to be fine. You know, we can do this together. You're kind of sharing that responsibility. Um, and, and equally, so if you're, if you're on with people where there is incivility, um, you know, that really impacts the way that you can work, it impacts It impacts um, our ability to, um, to, to make decisions, to care for our patients, and, and to recognize that we do have an impact on other people around us. And, and we can make a choice about what kind of impact we have um, and recognize that that's not only gonna make a difference for that other person, it's also gonna make a difference for the care that we can give our patients.
0: Um, you mentioned earlier joe about the supervision being part of your continuing development and certainly i should point out that under the new recertification program that we're just over halfway through rolling out now we do recognize professional supervision and activities towards self-care as um, important components of that so people can claim that within their um, e-portfolio and um, part of their professional development plan. Um, and it's important people know that so that they can um, look to, to seek that out. Um, Charlotte, I just had one quick question relating to this one in two that I keep going back to in my mind because it, it just is a staggering number. Those are presumably one in two who filled in your survey, which would have been an anonymous survey. What are the actual statistics of people who acknowledge burnouts in the real world so it, what? to what degree does stigma prevent people from actually acknowledging to their colleagues and their friends?
2: Um, I know and again it's not New Zealand research but um, Shanna Felt and co over at the Mayo Clinic did a study and they found that doctors are likely to experience burnout at a far higher rate than the general population. Um, And I do know anecdotally there's been some research as to how generic levels of burnout have been increasing in the wider New Zealand population over the past two years, likely due to COVID. Um, The one thing I would say about the survey, so we had, just refresh my memory, we had about a, it was over a 40% uh, response rate, yeah, 45% response rate this year, 40% response rate back in 2015. Um, We're always asked the question about non-responder bias. Um, And I found this great um, cartoon, which kind of illustrates it perfectly for me. It's got a picture of stressed Eric, who's got his head shot in the thing, and then it's got burnt out Eric, and in brackets it says, Eric was too tired to pose for this cartoon, apologies. (laughs) So I I actually suspect that the prevalence of burnout may be even higher, simply because I suspect non-responder bias favors those people who are too knackered and too exhausted and see another thing enter in the inbox from me and think, oh God, I just can't cope with that into the bin. Um, so I would, I would hazard a guess that one and two is a fairly fair estimation of, of burnout prevalence in New Zealand. The point about putting your hand up and I guess being out with the fact that you are self-identifying with burnout, it's not always safe to do that, unfortunately. And um, of course, there are rules underneath the, is it the medical council who um, require you to report or self-report if you don't feel that you're fit to practice. And burnout is one of those kind of gray areas around that. Um, again, this is where it's so useful to have a professional association or a union who can help you, but Mass will also be able to provide you, is it Mass or the... Um, MPSR would be able to provide you with some advice too about what your legal obligations are, um, but it's not always safe in a professional sense to put your head above the parapet and self-identify. But I think, again, if we can shift the culture on this and make it, um, uh, normalize it as, you know, it's okay to say, I'm having a bad day. I am finding things really tough at the moment. How about you? I think that does tend to change the culture around it and it does make it safer to talk about those issues in a collegial context where it's not going to be stigmatized as a oh so-and-so is such a weakling you know they're struggling for goodness sake can't they just buck up and get on with it you know we really have to challenge and push back against that rhetoric because it is so damaging
1: mm-hmm.
2: joe do you have anything to add
1: to yeah that? and i think again you know changing our narrative around um, around the 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 hero of someone who is coping and doing all of these amazing things to um, yeah. you know, to actually saying, oh, you know, I heard about so and so. they were so brave. you know, I know that I felt the same sometimes and I've been really worried about speaking up. Mm-hmm. you know starting to have those, some of those conversations. And I think I think that the, that our younger generation of of doctors are are much better at, at saying actually I need a mental health day. Um yeah. that that there's you know that there's some there's some acceptance of um of of what they might need to um you know to to be well i I suspect that we whip that out of them when they've been in the system for long enough but but you know to try and hold on to hold on to that and um and find you know help to create safe spaces for for your colleagues and particularly for your juniors as well, you know, and and um, the 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 whole system approach to that. What we've talked about again and again is that you know this isn't an an individual thing, and and we certainly wouldn't expect you to go to somewhere where you're not safe and say, hey, I'm really struggling, because that's not that's not necessarily going to to be a useful thing. But find somewhere that is safe, your GP. Um, the the um, professional supervision or counselling and um, and you mentioned MPS Charlotte you can also get I think six sessions a year with MPS um, if you are employed by a a DHB um, we have EAP um, and um, at the moment there's six sessions a year with EAP while um, while we're in the in the midst of COVID I think normally it's three sessions a year. And there's um, and and again, if you're employed by a DHB, um, you can also use um, CME money um, towards um, towards many of these things as well. So um, so there's a real recognition that um, that that this stuff matters, um, and that there are there are ways of addressing it both both without declaring it to um, to the world where you're not safe and also a recognition that we are a part of creating that safety for one another. Yep.
2: Um, sorry, just triggered a thought. Uh, another piece of research which I did was to look at rates of working through illness or presenteeism, um, which is not what I mean by showing up to work but doing nothing, um, but presenteeism as in working through illness. Uh, it's interesting, I think COVID has enabled um, many of us to legitimately take that time off when we're unwell. Um, because again from what I've observed from the seven years I've worked for you doctors is you're not very good at taking um, sick leave or recognizing when you yourself are in need of um, some time out and uh, help so uh, anything that can help with that regard I mean it's a silver lining of Omicron right it's legitimate to stay away if you've got a cold Um, but yeah taking your leave when it's Required if you're a new parent um, applying for your parental leave entitlements, normalising doing that type of stuff is really important too. I think Um, Joe's right. The the next generation coming through are often lambasted for not necessarily having the right work ethic, but actually, I think they do have the right work ethic. Um, And I, I think we all have to check ourselves for how we might react to some of they're quite legitimate and healthy demands for that work-life balance, which I don't think many of us, um, I certainly can't always put my hand up and say I achieve it. So,
0: yeah. One last quick question, um, which I guess may tie into the, the next generation, but and that social media, Does is there a role for social media in helping in this regard, or can it hinder um, what, what's the experiences of using kind of um, support groups online, even anonymous, being being able to correspond anonymously with with people and share share that way without necessarily outing yourself? So, so yeah, any thoughts on social media from the review?
2: Can I just quickly do a, a hurrah for our Women in Medicine Facebook page?
1: Yes.
2: Um, which was something that directly came out of the original burnout research. Um, we kick-started it, but now it's taken legs and, it, and it's running. And its I think it's incredibly important from what I observe. I am an observer on it. Um, it has been a huge, uh, hugely successful platform to enable people to share anonymously um, through the mediators. Or the moderator sorry um concerns that they might have and joe what what do you think
1: yeah i think that's i think that's so true and i think the um that there's there's several um several real advantages to it you know it does it has created a safe space by being able to speak anonymously and there's the there's the full kind of generations of um right from medical students through to Um, senior medical officers. And, and I think that it, it allows you to see from other people's perspectives a little bit, which often is really hard to do, you know, when you've been doing this gig for 20 years, it can be hard to remember what it was like, when you, you know, your first a a new doctor. Um, And I think that, 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 that ability to, um, to invite somebody to see from a different perspective, um, can be really valuable. And it, and it kind of, you know, it lets you think, oh gosh, that's right. That was really hard when that happened. Um, And, and, oh gosh, that's right. The way I speak to my juniors really does make a difference for how they feel. And, um, and, and, you know, right through to them thinking that maybe they'll leave medicine. Gosh, you know, it really, it really does make a difference to how seniors um, speak and behave towards juniors. Um, and, and just, you know, it's, I think it's created some camaraderie. People have gotten to know each other, um, share different interests. There have been, um, you know, offshoot groups that have started from it and all sorts of things. So, yeah, I think, I think that there's some, there's some real opportunities with social media. Mm -hmm. I think that there's also, you know, there's flip sides to everything, isn't there? And there's continuums, um, I, I, I know that I know myself that that doom scrolling is one of my other flag posts, um, you know, as, as disasters are happening and I'm scrolling through Twitter and checking Facebook and, you know, the, the disaster is just there, um, in my face all the time. I know that that's for me, another trigger to say, Hey, (laughs) you need to step away. Um, and, um, And yet there's, you know, there's other times where, you know, you, you create your own world and in social media as well. And I, I do have a world of, of, of people who do a lot of this kind of work in terms of the people that I follow on various um, social medias. So, um, so I, I do kind of create um, uh, some good news stories that come through my social media as well. So, um, so again, you know, I think there's no silver bullet in any of this. And, um, and with, you know, in moderation and um, and, and recognising when, when, you know, where that sweet spot is, I think that there's real opportunities in social media.
0: Excellent. Well, we've gone just over the hour, so it's probably time to wrap up, even though I could keep talking for a lot longer. Um, what I'd like each of you to maybe um, do is if anyone in the audience has listened to this and wants to, uh, n- the next step, so to speak, um, investigate things further, where would be a really good place for them tomorrow morning to to look a resource or a, uh, what, what would be your number one place for them to connect with as a, as a take home? And um, f- before you go on to that, I'd just like to say thank you both for uh, sharing your expertise on this difficult and and complicated and and scarily common problem and um, I don't think this will be the the last time we would be hopefully talking to you about ways in which we can manage urgent care um, burnout in the future because it's, it's there's a lot more to cover, but um, for now, thank you very much, and I'll leave you both just to give a, a, a final a final thought and a, and, a, and a little single tip for, for for resources for people for tomorrow.
1: Thank you,
2: Guy. Jo,
1: you can kick off. Um, okay, so um, so resources. Um, I um, I think that um, that starting with. Um, with colleagues or friends or safe people that you can start to have conversations with is a really good start. I think that there's also lots of resources out there. I love TED Talks or um, or podcasts. Um, oftentimes, particularly when I'm when I'm teetering on or some of those red flags for burnout are around, I find it really difficult to concentrate on, um, on many things. Um, whereas to, to listen to a podcast or to, or to watch a Ted talk, I find really useful. Um, and, and I tend to find ones that inspire me, um, rather than tell me too much about, about burnout. So I, so I tend to, um, I tend to look for, um, for inspiration. My, my, my go-tos are, I, I, Brene Brown is definitely on my um, on my frequent listen um, listen list, um, and Simon Sinek is um, is another guy who talks a lot about about why and relationships and people. Um, and um, and actually, one of the um, from a medical point of view, I've an inspiring podcast that I've just recently listened to is um, is one with um, Glenn Calhoun. Um, it was on a podcast called Dr. NOS, which is a um a medical registrar. I think she's in Wellington um, at the moment, and she interviews all sorts of different people who are doing all sorts of things in medicine. And um her recent interview with Glenn Calhoun is is just um, it's it's just he he talks about um about the the consultation and it, it's it's just it's just beautiful. Um, so it's definitely worth a listen to kind of remember remember why we got into this um, to this gig in the first place. Um, and i guess i i guess in terms of i, I would really like also um, to say that that we are living through an extraordinary time and a time where the resources, to be able to do the kind of job that we would ideally like to do, the kind of job that we've been trained to do, just don't match what we can do. And finding ways to feel satisfied with what we can do, I think is really important. To be able to say and truly believe of yourself and your colleagues, that today I did the best job I could with the resources that were available to me, is a really important um an important assumption to try and learn and and add into that plenty of of self-compassion. We often have a lot of compassion for other people and are our worst self-critics. And if we can learn to, to truly believe that we are doing the best job that we can and be compassionate about the Um, about the desire to have done something differently that we couldn't do because we didn't have those resources. And I think that you can be both satisfied with doing the best job today and hold on to an advocacy for better and more in the future. I think that if, if we can hold on to those simultaneously, then we can build back better and feel good about what we're able to do today. You're doing a great job. We are you. Know, we're doing great jobs, and we're doing a job that that is making a difference every day in the world. Thank you.
2: Thanks, Joe. Um, so I will compliment Joe's um, beautiful suggestions, and I guess with my analytical hat on, if I'm feeling that I might be struggling at the moment, or I'm self-identifying, maybe have a Google and do a diagnostic test, Um, go through a scoring sheet, see what you come out as, Um, find the AMA Safe Work Guidelines, do a quick check as to what your work patterns were like in the past week, Um, do some diagnostics, find somebody who you trust and give them a call. Um, Talk to them and say, hey, have you got time for a quick chat now or maybe even a coffee after work? I'm I'm struggling and I'd really like to talk to you about my thoughts. Find out what your workplace offers in terms of um, support, whether it's Employee Assistance Program, EAP, um, or through MPS. Find out what is available to you. Um, I know that getting any kind of publicly funded mental health care or talk therapy at the moment is incredibly difficult, mm. but find out who does offer services in your area and um, get your name on the waiting list if that's what it takes. If you're feeling like you're struggling, make an appointment with your GP. Um, don't rely on your own somewhat skewed sense of um, well-being to assess whether you're in need of help or not, get a different perspective. Um, I would also really recommend uh, I guess
0: I don't want to sound too
2: biased here, but um, finding out what what collective, collective action can actually do for you in your situation, because whilst there is a huge component of well-being that is in the individual, there is also a huge amount of it which actually reflects on how your work is structured, how safe it is, whether you're given the resources to do your job well. And in those types of situations, being part of a collective, can make a huge difference. If you're a salaried employee, you are eligible to be a member of ASMS and we will help you form a collective if there's enough interest. So don't, um, yeah, don't just put that to the side. Um, And when you feel like you're able to, start that work to build community in your group, Um, normalize and try and establish a no blame culture and normalise and try and establish um, that need to collectively speak out when things are tough, when you're not given the right resources to do the job, when you're not being given realistic or safe hours of work. Um, You'll be surprised as to what that can do for you. Um, And my top tip is um, actually trying to normalise, and I know there's some really good assessment tools going on at other DHBs like, the other Joe in the wellbeing space has been doing some great work, but um, we have found that doing regular assessments of workplaces as to the degree of burnout that might be um, present in a workplace and making a non-punitive reporting system is really important. Um, it's like taking the temperature. How is everybody doing? So if you are in a position of responsibility, especially trying to bring some of that into your staff meetings might be a really good way to do things too. Yeah, and just stay well. Really difficult times for all of you. Yeah. Thank you.